Welcome to the Brendan Burns Show. I'm Brendan Burns, and I interview and share the stories of high performers, happiness engineers, and people who have created the life that they deserve on their terms. I sit down with speakers, pro athletes, and entrepreneurs from all over the world who have chosen to live a life of fulfillment and joy instead of status or money. In each episode, we share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Joining me today from Miami, Florida is Ben Stein, who is joining us on his 40th birthday. Happy birthday, Ben, by the way. Thank you. Thank you for the warm welcome and and birthday wishes. Of course. So Ben is the founder, coach, and podcast host at Purpose Up, where he helps struggling professionals get unstuck and design their life and purpose. He's passionate about helping people get clear on what they're really meant to be doing and giving them the tools and accountability to unlock their passion and potential. He's also a dad blogger and illustrator at IHopeIDon'tKillIt.com, where he pokes fun at the insanity of being a new dad. We're definitely going to have to talk about that. In past lives, he was the VP of product management at a dot-com company, an award-winning advertising executive, animation producer, and a world traveler. Ben, welcome to the show. Brendan, thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah. Yeah. So excited for this conversation. And let's just start from the top. Where did you grow up and what was the childhood like for you? Oh, all right. Let's go way back. So... I grew up in the suburbs of D.C., Bethesda, Maryland, quite an idyllic place to grow up. Um, I was, uh, my, my dad was a psychiatrist, grew up in a Jewish family, so you can imagine there's this inbred uh, neuroses and, and, and uh, analyzing of everything. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. My wife posted an Instagram story today saying that you've come a long way, and there's a picture of me from my bar mitzvah where I'm a, I'm a chubby, chubby boy with, you know, huge glasses that are in vogue now um, and, and kind of a, a banker suit. Uh, and it's, it's pretty embarrassing, but it's pretty funny at the same time. So, um, you know, my memories from my childhood are both, um, you know, very fond hanging out with two older sisters, um, left to our own devices, running around, watching a lot of television. Um, and, but also like, being a chubby youngster, this was, I guess, before nutrition was really important. Um, and, you know, also struggling with that growing up, um, you know, was, wasn't the, was kind of like the, the darker side of, of the childhood, if that makes sense. Got it. And, you know, we connected because I think we're both really passionate about helping people will, with compulsive behavior, addiction, and things like that. And I think we've both been through that journey in our own lives. And I can certainly trace things that happened to me in my upbringing, thinking about low self-confidence, neglected, being neglected, abandoned, um, stuff like that. So for you, it sounds like there was like a weight issue, self-confidence, anything else that you can really point to in your earlier life that may have led to um, getting into compulsivity later on in life? Uh, yeah, definitely. So um, I had an interesting dynamic with my parents with a kind of psychiatrist dad who was very gifted at, at helping patients. Um, and then I also had uh, depression with my mom. So um, it created this like interesting dynamic at home. So, you know, she, um, 
you know, was, was, was suffering and he was out there kind of helping, uh, helping the world, but it, there was like this disconnect at home. So I think, you know, a lot of those challenges come from, um, and I don't want to paint a picture of my childhood that it was like terrible by any means, but if you look at me needs not being met, you know, I think mine weren't met. And I remember talking about this in therapy, like she was the star of the show because her um, kind of struggle was first and foremost in the family. And I, I kind of um, learned that either I was best operating, we'll talk about bad theories, but the theories for me to survive were kind of like, okay, I will either entertain and be funny. And so I was a little bit silly, or I will um, kind of fade in the background and let other needs be met and not be concerned about my own because they're not a priority right now. Wow. You know, it's so fascinating how to get the love of our primary caregivers at a young age, we mold ourselves in order to really do whatever it takes to get that love. So in your situation, it sounds like either sacrificing your own needs to please someone else or to try to be a people pleaser and cheer someone up to make them feel better because they're dealing with uh, depression. And it's so amazing how you've diagnosed that and you've come out of it and you're on another side now. But do you feel like people today are subconsciously reliving these patterns that they've developed at an early age? And if so, how can they sort of either diagnose and then change the way they are to reclaim their true selves? Uh, 100% yes. And I think even if you've got a conscious awareness of it, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that it'll go away because there's these like subconscious, you know, add uh, subconscious grooves that we just kind of behave on, you know, without even realizing it. So I think the first thing is understanding, okay, let me take a, a dive back into my past and, you know, what, what are those negative moments that stick out in my mind. And those are moments that stick out for a reason. Uh, there may be stuff that we've repressed or suppressed that we don't remember, but we want to kind of look at what's, what's led from back then. And there's lessons in there. And this is often great to do with a trained professional, whether it's a coach, a therapist. Um, I, I found uh, my progression was therapy first, just to kind of excavate. And then coaching for me, I kind of call it um, out alchemizing uh, that led into gold. And it was a much uh, quicker transition for me to deal with some of that trauma. Uh, but the first thing that we have to understand is as we're young kids, we develop coping strategies and a way of viewing the world to adapt to these painful situations. Those ways of being um, continue on into adulthood um, without us realizing it unless we gain some self-awareness. Mm -hmm. So first it's self-awareness and then it's a uh, self-analysis of you know, how am I self-sabotaging? How could this be related to these episodes that have this negative charge? And, you know, what are new um, kind of scripts? If we're talking about, you know, computer coding metaphor, I've got this virus, I need to, you know, debug the virus and then write the new code that will serve me better. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That's spot on. So you told us a little bit about your past, your childhood, your family dynamic. Um, take us forward. So um, school, high school, college. Yep. So I was um, always a, a, like a, a smart guy who never lived up to his potential. So I always like did well enough that kind of like my parents weren't, you know, uh, on my back. Um, and, you know, I enjoyed school and reading, um, also enjoyed drawing a lot. And, you know, we'll get, we'll get back to that. Um, and then 
you know, food was the first way I anesthetized myself. Um, and television was like another great distraction. And I think that's why when I originally got out of school, I went into television just because I fell in love with the medium. I spent so much time with it. Um, but um, middle school was was tough, um, but I, I adapted. So it was like, all right, I remember one summer, it was like this transformation from geeky kid with huge glasses and TJ Maxx clothes into like going to um, Georgetown, DC, um, going to this like cool place, smash, getting some Doc Martens, getting my Faith No More t-shirt, getting some plaid and uh, starting to shave the sides of my head so I could grow out the rest of it and get the ponytail so I could <laughs> fit in with the cool kids. And this was during the golden era of, of grunge when Pearl Jam's 10 came out, um, you know, right around when I was in like uh, eighth grade. So, um, you know, I remember those times fondly. And then I kind of like um, fell in with a crowd at school that definitely liked to experiment with alcohol uh, and drugs. And, um, you know, that that provided a great uh, escape for me from like not dealing with my home environment. Mm. Um, and I think like around that time, um, you know, uh, my mom went on some, some heavier medication and kind of uh, numbed her out more than, you know, I, th I thought was necessary. Um, and that was like really painful to deal with. Um, so, you know, numbing myself was a kind of mirroring her behavior right. and, and provided that escape. But yeah, so needless to say, most of my like teenage and then into college was like, all right, let me let me smoke a lot of pot. Let me drink a lot. And, um, you know, there were some laughs along the way, but I, I mourned my, my brain cells. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so amazing how self-aware you are of this now, because to, to say that, you know, you're abusing food and TV is to put yourself in category with probably the majority of Americans. And I, I think it, at least in my recovery, when I realized that I was abusing travel and food and alcohol and just all these ways to escape, um, it, it was it was hard for me to uh, admit it because you have to sort of admit that you're kind of powerless to some of these things and that you really need help. But at the same time, I was a little frustrated because I felt like I was in the minority of people actually willing to admit it. And most people kind of just go on their, with their life continuing to numb and, and escape and avoid. Now, obviously, I've come to a place where I'm so grateful that I've been able to go on this journey. Um, but at what point did you realize did you develop the self-awareness of, of all of this? Would, did this come later in life for you? I mean, I, you know, I realized um, the power of addiction with smoking cigarettes. So I picked that up like around when I was like 14, 15 too. Mm. Um, and I would consistently during high school, like get bronchitis a few times a year. And I remember like asking my dad for antibiotics instead of going to the doctor because that's what you do when you get bronchitis. Yeah. Um, and I remember dad, my dad like being like, you know, a, a, a Coke and a smoke is not a good breakfast when I was in high school. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so I, I realized kind of like the power of addiction. And then I realized, um, you know, with, um, you know, marijuana kind of became psychologically addictive um, as well. It's like, oh, I kind of like need this to go to sleep. I need this to chill out. I need this to, um, you know, reduce anxiety. Um, and then, you know, later on, I just kind of realized how much of my life was kind of built around, um, you know, later in my 20s, it was in New York and New York's a great place to party a lot. Um, 
working in advertising, you know, business development for me was going out to these parties with free alcohol multiple times a week. Mm-hmm. And that was a lot of fun. And it was like community and it met needs of, um, you know, uh, creating a tribe and whatnot. But it was also like, okay, I was going to open bars like three nights a week and that wasn't even the weekend. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I kind of realized in my late 20s as I was approaching 30 that um, I had this kind of like empty, um, hollow sorrow and, and um, I didn't know exactly. I knew I hadn't dealt with pain um, and I knew I needed to get some help and, and it just made me want to like cry. And I knew that like I, I needed to, to change something. And so that's when I started my journey for, for, for help. Got it. So, yeah, I guess what I was trying to uh, figure out is because people who do this work either tend to either have like a high bottom or a low bottom. And I'm curious if you had like one defining moment that was like your aha, because in my story, people for years were telling me, Brendan, um, when your stepfather takes a plate and smashes it over his own head and blood is shooting out of his face and then he calls the cops and says my mom did it and your mom goes to jail and she's a drug addict and so is he and Brendan you should be in therapy I was like oh no no no, no. everything's fine <laughs> <laughs> and so so I I really suppressed and I was in denial obviously took on my compulsive behaviors and then had a, I would say maybe medium bottom or a higher bottom, thankfully, where it was, it was a breakup and and potentially losing a job, but it wasn't like, you know, life threatening or or jail inducing. So, but I I did have one sort of day or one aha moment that was like, I need help. I need therapy. I need to get this figured out. Did you have that? Or was it just kind of like over time living in New York, you're like, this isn't right. I should look into this. I mean, I had a, I had a couple moments and I'll, and I'll tell you a story in a second. Um, one of those moments was when I was in my mid twenties and I was working to win back my college girlfriend. We had been together for a number of years and, you know, my, um, you know, smoking weed was an issue in our relationship. So, um, you know, after college, we broke up. And so a few years later, I wanted to get back together with her. Um, things were going well. And, um, you know, she was in medical school and I was in New York. So we were both in the same area. And um, I wanted to kind of convince her I had everything back together. Um, and a couple dates in, uh, we're back at my apartment. Um, and she's, you know, we're going to, she's going to sleep over. Um, I was using weed every night to like go to sleep and I knew that smoking weed would um, be an issue with her and I wanted to bring her back, but I still went forward, smoked before bed because I couldn't imagine going to bed without it. And then, um, you know, she's like, you know, WTF, like this is, you know, you're, you don't have this all together. This was an issue before this will be an issue again. Like this is a total red flag. And I broke down crying just because I was so ashamed of myself that I didn't have the self-control. Um, and I was, you know, sabotaging this relationship. And I like look back at it, it might've been more of like a plea for help than it was, you know, me trying to get her back because she was a, you know, trusted someone. I don't know, but that was definitely like, um, a a bottom but I kind of like kept continuing Um, but it was this kind of moment at work one day that wasn't wasn't special in any way except for the fact that I just wanted to break down and cry and I was like okay I need to call somebody for help because this doesn't happen to me Um, and that was a number of years later wow well first of all thank you for sharing that that's really powerful and it it sounds like yeah you 
Uh, have you ever seen uh, – there's a documentary on Ricky Williams um, called Run, Ricky, Run. I, I definitely recommend it because it, it spoke to me a lot in the, in the sense of addiction and specifically for him it was marijuana. And uh, it, it really just like put a amazing – shined a light on like kind of what, what happened to him in his life. And, you know, he went through some abuse with his father specifically and then what happened because I think there's a big – um, misunderstanding in in the world about like what what addiction is and kind of how to treat it, for example, and, and I want to get more into that. But I just want to thank you for sharing that. And so, either based on that experience at work or that relationship ending, did you then say, okay, now I, I want to get help for this, or did that come later? And then, when you said you wanted to get treatment for this, how did you go about doing that? So I. Um you know, once I hit that kind of like low point at work, um, where it's kind of like everything came crashing down mentally and spiritually, I was like, okay, I'm going to get help. So, you know, my model for help was, you know, my, my dad. So I first started with a psychiatrist and, um, the psychiatrist, uh, unfortunately was, was one of those doctors that um, primarily just prescribes medicine. Mm. So I had, uh, you know, about 15 to 20 years of, of pent up things that I kind of wanted to share um, that, you know, I wasn't open with about anybody in terms of my childhood, in terms of insecurities and all these things. I, I was ready to bear my soul. And I start doing that and about like 15 minutes in, he's like, okay, so what do you want? And um, that like was med like, what medicine do you want? Yes. Jeez. So like that kind of like initially shattered me and I was like, ah, oh, you know, so I tried antidepressants, but I was like, you know, I think I also want to talk with somebody. So he, he referred me to a therapist. Um, so I tried antidepressants for a few months, but those just kind of numbed me more and I didn't really need any more numbing at that point. Um, I just remember sitting in, I don't know if you've ever been to the Charlotte airport, but they've got these like rockers there. And I was just like sitting there in one of those rockers in the airport waiting for a flight, just being like, ah, this, this, this does not feel right. So <laughs> I, um, uh, went to therapy and therapy for a few months was, was great. Um, it, it helped me kind of unearth a lot of stuff and, and have some realizations about how my childhood affected me. Um, but then kind of after a few months, I found myself going into appointments being like, okay, what's wrong with me this week? And um, to have something to talk about. And that didn't feel um, right to me. Um, and so, you know, during those sessions, I remember like talking about alcohol with um, the therapist and, 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 you know, weed as well. And, you know, he was like, oh, you know, you can, you can try AA. And then, you know, you can also try this like pill that will make alcohol less, um, uh, it kind of like numbs you. Talking about like, uh, like a naltrexone or an opioid yeah. blocker. Yeah. Naltrexone's the one. He's yeah. like, you could try that. But both of those I wasn't into because, um, you know, for better or worse, I was like, I'm not like that type of, um, you know, alcoholic. So that could either have been my denial or that could have just been, um, the way I wanted to go about doing things. But, um, I, I didn't take his advice because I was like, no, that means I've got, you know, a problem that's in a different category. So, um, so it sounds like a little bit of denial about the severity of what was going on for you. Uh, yes, probably. Yeah. And, and I didn't want to, um, I, I've been there, man. <laughs> so I, I don't have a problem. I could stop anytime I want. <laughs> Just not today. <laughs> so then um, I um, 
found coaching. An ex-girlfriend of mine um, gave me a free coaching uh, session and I was intrigued. And then, you know, I was in therapy at the time. So I was like, I don't want to do both of these at the same time. But then this like weekend intensive came up and it seemed like a good bang for the buck. So that weekend intensive changed my life. That was with um, a company called the Handel Group in New York. Oh yeah, I know them. Yep. Yeah. They come up a lot in conversation. I haven't met them yet, but I hear a lot about them. Yep. Yeah. I've um, nothing, nothing but good things to say about them. Um, and, great. uh, so essentially after the end of this intensive weekend, um, you know, I was looking at my dreams. I was looking at, um, you know, where, where I was struggling in my life and, and, you know, my coach, uh, Kate, who has become like a second mom to me, you know, was like challenged me at the end of this weekend to, um, you know, you need to stop substances for three months to help get your head straight because so much of your um, kind of bad baggage is related to these like substance abuse uh, episodes, right? And so you need to kind of um, get a hold of this um, to be able to design your life with intention and success. Um, so uh, I, I remember that moment. Uh, I was so scared. I was put on the spot in front of other people but there was this like excitement. I was like, Oh my God, I'm getting challenged. Like I need this, but I'm terrified. And then after that kind of like initial mix of all these feelings and it was like all those ego voices coming in being like, you can't go out and have fun without alcohol. Like, how are you going to have a social life? How are you going to like, this is probably not possible, but um, I took the challenge on for three months was successful with it. Um, And meanwhile, I was working with a coach being held accountable and um, you know, their methodology is putting consequences in place. So you know, if you mess up in this, then you have to pay a consequence. And I think mine was like a severe one, like paying 500 bucks to a political party. I didn't like, yeah. um, as like a, as like a stick against that. So I actually felt so good. Um, I extended it, um, over a year. Um, and just the amount I accomplished in that year and, um, the changes I had, like I was able to like deal with my emotions, negative emotions. Um, I wrote and shot a television pilot with some friends. Um, I, you know, improved my relationships immensely. And then I started coaching training, um, cause I realized how transformative it was. And then, you know, I eventually planned my trip around the world because that was a long time dream. And I was like, if I'm going to be a life coach, I got to be able to live out a dream. So let's do this. That's awesome. I definitely want to talk travel in a minute because I love traveling too. And that was a big part of my journey. But first, tell me more about this, this intensive coaching weekend. Like what made it so meaningful? What exercises did you guys do? Maybe for the listeners who are like, oh, you know, there are certain things either that I could do on my own, or maybe what, what about this program do you think was special that listeners could take away and say, oh, I'm going to go look for a similar type of program. So I think um, there's, there's some things that people can do on their own and there's some things I I recommend uh, professional help for. So I think um, the first thing that that anyone can do and and is um, common across many coaching um, paradigms is getting clear on your vision for what you want. Um, Many times when we're in a state that's not ideal, we're focusing on what we don't want. And with that, we filter the world through that focus and we attract more of that. So um, you have to, instead of just being successful, you have to get specific about it and you have to use your imagination and you have to um, put it in the present tense and you have to imbue it with um, emotion uh, and all the sensory language. So when you get a vision like that, that inspires you um, and that you like maybe read every day, you write down every day, it gets ingrained in your subconscious 
and then you kind of like activate the power of your subconscious to solve problems to get you um, towards that uh, goal. So creating visions and they've got uh, many different areas of life, but just some examples are your career, um, spirituality, relationship with a significant other, relationship with self, self-care. Uh, and there's many others to make these different areas of your life beautiful um, in the language that they describe it. I think the other thing is like a space like that where you're sharing and vulnerable with other people um, makes you realize the power of common humanity that we all have these deep, dark um, secrets that we want to hide and that if we um, share them with people will make us unlovable. Um, but the flip side of that is when we share that in a space that's safe, um, we release so much like emotional baggage and we realize that we all are dealing with stuff and that it's okay, and that as long as you're open about it, you can make progress. But if you're stuffing it down, you're just going to kind of continue those behaviors, those numbing behaviors. Mm. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. It, it absolutely does. And um, <clears throat> I, just in terms of that, that being vulnerable, I think that's really kind of a, a core element to recovery is being able to open up and, and see what's kind of inside because at least in my experience and from what I've seen from my clients and other people I talk to, um, addiction, compulsive behavior, just doing stuff that isn't at the core of who we are tends to be masking and covering up pain. Right. And the pain, the pain is inside of us and we stuff it down and then, but there's the pain is still there. So then we have to do something to numb it out so we don't feel it because it's really painful. And, and the answer is to just kind of open it up and let it all feel it, process it, and let it all out. And I think being vulnerable and being willing to take that risk to do that is kind of the, the core of it. So it sounds like you found a situation or an environment where you were felt safe enough to, to open up and you had people guiding you through this process of how to feel and how to process. And if you could just share a little bit more either from that weekend, your work with the Handle Group, coaching, or just kind of what you do now, any strategies that you would be able to share in terms of how you connect with your emotions and your pain on a regular basis um, so you can let it go so it doesn't stack and then cause you to go to those old behaviors? Sure. So I think, um, yeah, and, and this is something that, um, you know, I, I just interviewed you for for uh, an interview series um, <laughs> Called, called done doing that, that's, that's over now. But, um, you know, I interviewed 24 experts around addiction to help people be, be done doing that. So my mind is kind of totally in the zone. So I'll first start about um, kind of my personal practices um, that help me um, deal with pain. So I think first is um, getting a hold of your inner dialogue. Um, so I like to call them ego voices. Um, those, the, the way that you talk to yourself and understanding, like when you start meditating, the fact that you are not your thoughts. Um, they're kind of, uh, many of your thoughts are generated from a place in your brain that is solving problems. And many of the problems that it's solving are low level problems that, um, don't necessarily serve your higher self. So there's the inner critic that says, don't do that Facebook live. You will look like an idiot and make a fool of yourself. Um, that's trying to keep me safe in this like tribe mentality, right? 
but if my mission is to show up in the world and be available for people who are um, in transition, then my, you know, my mission and the self-talk that I choose to instill myself is the antidote to that. So first it's like, what am I telling myself? What's going to serve me better and attaching that to an important why, right? And those whys uh, accompany your vision. So get clear on, on where you're going. Um, so self-care. Uh, meditation practice has been crucial for me. Um, I like tend to get anxious. So I need to get my body in a state where I reduce anxiety. So uh, meditation, yoga, exercise, both jogging and weightlifting, all kind of get me in a balanced state where I can be present um, and it reduces the, the swirl of activity in the brain. Um, journaling is another one that is really powerful, especially a daily journaling practice. Um, and you know, my recommendation is start in the morning with, you know, three things that you're grateful for and then start, uh, and then end the evening. And I just got this from Jesse Elder, um, end in the evening with three things that you, um, are, are proud of for the day. So you can have like fulfillment when you go to bed, um, cause our brain doesn't often get fulfillment. Um, so, and along with that goes eating right not too much caffeine, which is something I'm still getting, uh, getting a handle on. Gotta um, get that herbal tea, man. Yep. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> Rome, Rome wasn't built in a day. Um, I'm just kidding. No, it's cool. Um, no, but because you do get that, that energy dip afterwards, which is not, you know, uh, optimal. Yeah. Uh, um, so I think that that's where um, I start. And then an important piece is self-compassion. So once you're able to, uh, recognize those voices. If you do something stupid, a lot of the times you'll be like, I can't believe that you, you idiot, right? Like we've internalized this like bad voice. We need to have self-compassion. And for me, what that looks like uh, and, and the way I've heard um, this guy, Stephen Palmer describe it is, is imagining yourself as a little child and giving that child a hug. Um, and you want to nurture that inner child who's in pain instead of uh, abusing it and um, having a practice of that. So if you do mess up, just being like, you know, I still love you um, and, um, you know, it's not a big deal. Um, and that's, that's kind of important. And, and especially when you're in that zone of I'm not good enough or I don't deserve that, telling yourself I, I am and I do. Um, so you need to be able to catch yourself in that mental chatter. And that's a huge part of the game. That's awesome. I was actually just typing that up um, because I want to add that to the show notes as a pull quote. Imagine yourself as a younger child and giving that child a hug. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's so huge and you, you can imagine the, the power in that, especially like that, that vulnerable young child who, um, you know, if you think about those like traumatic episodes, um, I just did this cool um, drumming and, and dreaming event where this kind of um, guy who studied with um, all these like uh, Indian yogic masters as well as tabla people and other shamanic people, he takes you on this kind of like guided meditation that is about lucid dreaming and he uses a drum as kind of like a way to get you in there. And um, in the space, it is like one of those beautiful spaces where people can share, but then you go into this like meditation guided by the drum, you kind of go into these traumatic moments, but then you're also guided to say what you need to say to the people involved to help heal it. So, you know, um, if it is uh, kids who picked on you, understanding that they were going through tough times and having compassion for them and, you know, 
I remember one episode where it was like seventh grade, you know, I described my look earlier and I went up to a table with my lunch tray and this one kid comes up, you know, this one kid's like, do you have to spell it out for you? He's like, L-E-A-V-E. And, um, you know, I was just like in a new school and I was just like shattered inside, just trying to keep it together. And I just kind of quietly like walked off and went to the, you know, other table that was a little, you know, quote dorkier. Um, but that kind of like shattered me inside, but going back and revisiting that, um, you know, acknowledging my bravery for, um, that's what comes to mind for me is bravery and being courageous. Right. Um, And also, you know, having compassion for this guy who, you know, was obviously going through um, a lot of stuff that where he needed to feel better about himself with stuff like that. Um, So if you take the the sting out of that charge, it helps you um, not relive history and it helps you um, kind of guide a new course that's not marked by these traumas. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of the quote, uh, the way people treat us is a reflection of them not us. Right. And then you you learn how to not take it as personally. Right. And, you know, we were talking about those inner voices, like one of the things I found out, you know, in that weekend was um, I've got like a big judger um, and in Handel words, it's called a trait. So um, I was very judgmental of people. And that often comes from a place of insecurity where you make a judgment, you make yourself feel better um, about yourself because you've made that judgment. It's kind of like a quick little dopamine high, but it's not, um, it doesn't last and it doesn't help you. But um, what's worked for me is um, through the lens of compassion, if we take the assumption that we are all one and that these people are just a reflection of part of us, we can have a lot more compassion for this part of us that, you know, maybe in more pain may not have um, all of the abundance that we have right now, um, or may not be in the place of personal development that we're at now. So holding that compassion for them is a lot more powerful than judging them. Yeah. Yeah. That's an amazing way to think about compassion for ourselves and for other people. It's great. So uh, you said something earlier, which I wanted to come back to, which is you said Rome wasn't built in a day. And I think that's an amazing outlook because we live in a country where if you look on billboards, you see like the perfect family and super successful, making a lot of money and have it all figured out. And then you, then you take the hood up, you put the hood up, especially if you're going to be self-aware and want to do work on yourself and you see that there's stuff that needs to be cleaned up. And it's, it's like, it's really a journey and it can take years and there's no rush and it's all about becoming an authentic version of your best self. And that requires a lot of patience and compassion and understanding. Um, but I've done this before and I'm sure other people listening have too, where you're like, I just want, you know, I want like, it's a lack of patience, I guess. And, and part of it is having to be easy on yourself through that process and not beating yourself up for not being necessarily where you want to be and, and realizing it's about the journey and not just getting to another side. So how have you gone through this process or still going through this process of constant growth and connection with yourself um, in a, in a loving way rather than a, I'm still here and I want to be there kind of attitude. So I think, um, you know, if you've got a vision of, of where you want to go and, you know, I was, and I'm just going to do like a little aside here. Um, yeah. I was, I was stuck in a, well, I don't know um, for so long. And that's kind of like another distraction from your greatness or your purpose. Right. Um, so just, 
putting a stake in the ground and describing it. It doesn't have to be permanent. Uh, you can always change it, uh, but, but making a stake in the ground um, with your vision uh, is important. Um, and then also being present. So it reminds me of a quote uh, from Gandhi that happiness is when your thoughts, your actions, and what you say are all in alignment. So if I'm in an alignment with all of those, then um, I'm working towards what I want to be doing. If you're in a job, but you want to be a coach and you're not taking any action towards that, then you're going to be, you're going to have negative self-talk and you're going to be not in alignment, but you can feel good if you're in alignment, if you're taking actions and it doesn't need to be drastic actions, but they need to be in alignment. So, um, you know, another so, so take, for example, I started Purpose Up Podcast. I was in my corporate job. I was coaching as a side hustle, but I was like, I need to live out my purpose more fully. I don't know what my purpose is. I know I love podcasts. I know I love um, listening to people. Let me see if I like this. Um, and, and Tim Ferriss was like a huge um, person who kind of inspired me there. He's the best. So he is. Um, and, and Scott Adams, one of his guests, talks about systems thinking in um, one of the podcasts where, um, you know, try something that will make you better even if you fail at it. So for me, podcasting was that thing where it's like, okay, I'll get better at talking with people, I'll get better at interviewing, and I'll gain these technical skills that, so if it's successful or not, even if I fail, even if I don't want to continue it, um, it'll make me better off for doing it. So that's a you know, if you're looking about those next steps to take to put you in alignment, even if you don't know exactly what it is, take some steps um, because that will gain you further in alignment. Um, so that's where, you know, I started the podcast and that got me just like more involved in this purpose question and, and discussion. And I realized kind of, um, you know, purpose isn't something that you find. And I'll, and I'll credit, you know, Zach Mercurio for this, one of my guests. Um, it's, it's something that you A, are in the present moment. You know, my purpose right now is to be present with you and, and serve the audience as much as I can. Um, but it's also um, about serving others and taking action and being in tune with your intuition to see what's next. Um, so that is, um, you know, an important part of purpose I learned. So when you take action, uh, I really believe that the universe inspire, uh, conspires um, to help you take those next steps. And you don't need to figure it all out right away, but by taking those actions that are in a direction where you want to go, the, the path will unfold. Mm. That's powerful. You, so you did this, you did this uh, speaker series where you, you talked to over 20 people who are experts in the field. You were very knowledgeable going into it. We spoke before you started it, and it's clear that you had amazing tools and experience and have gone through a lot of powerful transformation. But then you spoke to all the experts out there. So what did you learn that you maybe didn't know, or what were kind of the big takeaways of getting out there and in a short period of time, talking to a lot of people who are very experienced and have their own powerful stories and journeys to share. Um, I learned a lot. And, you know, as I think about some of the highlights, um, you know, one, how powerful early trauma is in creating those bad scripts that operate us and that we need to be vigilant about rewriting those. And, you know, I suggest working with a professional or reading more about that in terms of reprogramming yourself. Um, two, to that end, um, 
uh, Dr. Srini Pillay, who's a super smart guy. Uh, he's a Harvard psychiatrist and he's written a couple books and I highly recommend um, you devour his content. Um, he talks about like uh, the, the, the brain neuroscience and I love geeking out on that. So when we take our amygdala, that's like the basic part of our brain that reacts to fear. Yeah. Um, it, it also reacts to hope. Um, and hope is the antidote to fear. Fear is something that I struggled with a lot that kept me in inaction and it kept me in vagueness. And inaction and vagueness in your thinking um, is a recipe for stagnation and frustration and numbing. Anywho, hope and faith that you can get your desired outcome needs to have a more powerful electric charge to override the fear. So you need to practice hope and faith and choose thoughts that serve you um, as a way to overcome your fear. And, you know, I like to say that, you know, fear is like a, working through fear is like a muscle that you build. So you need to kind of like get your reps in feeling fear and quickly acting um, through it so you can get used to that. So you're, you're used to stretching yourself. But if you sit in that, like, I don't know space, like let's say you, you're deciding to, um, uh, you think you want to do a coach. If you're like, now's not a good time, or I don't know, it's too much money. Um, you know, that, kind of those ego voices stop you. But um, if you, the, the fear is often a signal of where you need to move towards. So if you move towards that fear, you're going to lend yourself to better places. Going back to the question at hand, what else did I learn about addiction? Um, try different things, right? You need to constantly keep trying. A lot of us are worried about failure, um, but you, you know, um, you need to try different things. So if it's alcohol, try AA, you know, try naltrexone, keep trying different things. So, um, you'll get that much closer to hitting that home run with those swings at bat. Um, and don't worry about if you don't beat yourself up, have, have compassion that you're trying, um, and don't beat yourself up if you fail. Um, yeah. holding that vision for yourself about, why um, you need to get rid of this bad habit um, is super important, kind of like at a selfish level. Um, for me with cigarettes, it was like, I want to free my brain from this constant, um, when am I going to get my next you know, cigarette like that, taking over my brain was selfish, but also it was like, I need to attract um, a woman um, so I can have a family, which is something that I want, and that's part of my purpose in life. But if I'm a cigarette smoker, I'm not going to get the high quality woman that I want. So attaching yourselves to those why is important. Um, let me think of any other lesson that comes up. Um, support. Support is huge. So um, it's, it's, it's real tough to do it on your own. And um, uh, support is what you need. And you need people that will um, speak to your highest self. Like you don't want support from your friends that are doing the stuff that you don't want to be doing. You need to find new groups to associate with so you can change those patterns. Mm, that's a really good point because I've had people come to me and, and I went through this process myself a couple of years ago where I realized I wanted to make changes in my life. I realized that most of the people I was hanging out with uh, did the same stuff that I was trying to stop, but had no interest in stopping. So I was like, okay, um, politely exit myself from some situations and friend groups. But before I bridged that gap and I was able to like replace that, there was a time period where I felt lonely and I didn't have a lot of connection with like-minded people because building intimate friendships takes time. And I'm curious what that transition was like in your life, finding more like-minded people to surround yourself with and get support from. 
And if someone came to you and asked, because I know there are listeners out there, they've asked me personally, they said, Brendan, I, it's so amazing how you've told me to sort of shift who I spend time with, but I, I had terrible friends. I don't have good ones yet. Like, do I hang out with them until I find the new ones? How do I find good people? Like, what was your process and what advice do you have on that? So my process, you know, I have a lot of love for my old friends and um, I wouldn't say that they, you know, I would kind of revert to my old self. It's not like I'm, I'm blaming them for my behavior. It was just kind of like hanging out with them was an excuse for me to not be my best self. Right. So um, like one strategy was changing the context in which we hung out. So for example, like one of my good buddies, um, instead of like hanging out in the evening as much, you know, we would go work out together um, and, and kind of change the context there. Um, and that was, you know, helpful. And then, you know, I eat plant-based. So then I was like, okay, let's go to this like plant-based restaurant afterwards. Cause you know, he was a big food guy and this was like a, a great place. So that's one example. Um, you know, I think like your listeners are doing now, um, hanging out in podcasts that, um, you know, give you that good mental juice and those ideas is like another way of kind of uh, virtual friendships. Um, and, you know, there's cool men's groups out there like um, the uh, Mankind Project, for example. Um, there's, you know, women's groups as well. Find, find groups that, you know, you can um, find yourself in. So like this drumming and dreaming thing, I like loved this guy, um, Fernando, who ran it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to get him as an interview for my podcast because I want to learn more. Um, and I can provide value for other people that can, you know, go on this like crazy wild trip. Um, and, you know, I'm going to go to his like next event. So finding people that inspire you and, um, you know, you don't necessarily need to be like, let's hang out this Friday, but like finding out those kind of like circles of where you want to be your best self is a good way. And then you can find like-minded people there. Um, and then it's kind of like dating and I'm kind of, you know, just new to Miami. Um, that's kind of like on my agenda is like, okay, how can I really make new friends in a meaningful way? And it's, it's deliberate and it, um, it's, it, it's a weird process, especially as a 40 year old dude. Um, <laughs> but you know, now it's like, okay, I've got a kid. So who are we going to meet at the park and what contexts um, are, are healthy that makes sense for trading information and, and providing camaraderie. Yeah. It reminds me of that movie. I love you, man with Paul Rudd and Jason Siegel, where he's uh, he's been in this relationship forever and he doesn't have a best man for his wedding. So he needs to go out and make male friends. And he goes up to this guy and asks him out to dinner. And then the guy tries to kiss him at the end of the dinner. And he's like, you know, dating for friends, but no, that's fantastic. And, and I really just want to acknowledge you for making such a great point about you found that guy, Fernando, who you really resonated with. And why let it end with one drumming meditation? Like when you find people you, you really love and connect with and can really help you, and maybe you could help, even help them, and it's a two-way street, like get in, get in touch with them. And that's what I've done. Like two of the three coaches that I've worked with on a longer-term basis – um, I found their books and I loved their books and then I wrote them and I got on the phone with them. Actually, all three, really. The third one doesn't have a book, but he has an amazing blog. And I contacted him and I said, hey, man, what's um, what's your deal? Like, you're, you're a rock star and you have such amazing strategies. And he's like, oh, thanks so much. Well, I, I, you know, by the way, I do coaching and love to offer you a free session. Just get on the phone. And I've been working with him for probably almost a year now. So that's great advice. Like, find who you resonate with, get them on your podcast ask for a coffee, see what kind of programs they offer. 
Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, highlight a point you make is, is figure out how you can be generous with them. So, you know, one of the points I wanted to talk on was, was generosity. So, you know, with this guy, Fernando, I'm like, oh, this URL would be great for his thing. Um, let me see if it's available. So, you know, I'm going to actually, you know, gift him a URL, which is like, you know, relatively small investment, but, you know, will probably like touch him and, you know, he may appreciate it, he may not, but he'll appreciate the gesture, you know, figuring out how you can be generous and serve others um, just because I come from that tech background and I feel like URLs are important. Um, and, you know, that, that also goes back to being generous with yourself. So to reiterate the self-compassion, but also giving yourself time to take care of yourself um, allows you to be generous with other people and taking that mindset of, you know, how can I be generous without um, the what's in it for me? Um, there's a great book called The, the Go-Giver, which um, uh, I highly recommend people read that is a great primer um, on generosity. Wow, that's great. I, I've really done a lot of self-work on both learning how to give and receive. And because in my past, I didn't get gifts. And I guess I didn't give gifts either. And so the whole process was actually pretty emotionally overwhelming to me. Like I remember going to India and my grandma was like one of these bangles, these uh, like bracelets. And she was like, get me some, get me some. And um, I probably would not have gotten her any had I not been with really good, generous, warm Indian hosts who took me to the store and we bought like a whole sleeve. So I had enough for probably 10 people. And I get back to the US and I give them to my grandma and that's fine. Um, but then I was like meeting with someone else later that day and I'd be like, oh, you know, I think she would really like these. She's into jewelry. It'd be a nice gift for this female friend of mine. And I was like so hesitant and nervous to give them to her and I didn't want to and I was emotionally uncomfortable. And then when I gave them to her, she was so happy and kind towards me and thankful. And I said something like, oh, um, like I didn't get them for you. I just like had extras. <laughs> and I was like, you know, obviously took a lot away from like her reception of it. I'm curious, like, why do you think that I had that hesitancy or shame or, or discomfort with giving? I've now overcome that to a large degree, but I'm curious, like, where do you think that stems from? And how can people um, more comfortably and warmly both give and receive gifts or even to take it to the next step, give and receive love? I mean, uh, I would assume that it would, it would have to do with that whatever um, – scripts you created around gifting when you were younger, right? So let's just say for argument's sake, you didn't really um, receive gifts regularly. Um, and maybe you notice people around you receiving them and that hurt you and made you feel unlovable, right? So then you're like, okay, I need to build up this wall of defense around this unlovableness around gifts. So if I'm not going to receive them, you know, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to give them out because that's not how the world works. So it's just probably like a theory you made to, you know, kind of mask some of that hurt around not receiving. Yeah. And I love exactly what you said, because not only is that spot on, but that type of framework, you know, if you're listening or watching this, take that framework that Ben just shared, and you can really apply that to anything in your life. What's the story? What's the script? What's your mind saying? And how can you rewrite your story? Or how can you change it? because that doesn't have to control us and hold us back, right? Uh, definitely, yeah. I mean, like, what would generosity look like? And, you know, in terms of imagining things, it's like, okay, um, what are the specifics? Where can I be generous in my life? Um, could I, you know, there's the example of, 
you know, paying for the person's coffee in front of you in Starbucks without, you know, letting them know who did it, for example, or, you know, what could you do for, for one of your parents just um, to show them that, that you, you know, love them outside of, you know, a holiday or something. Um, so get specific with your imagination, write stuff down, commit to it, um, and you'll, you'll see magic happen. I love that. Man, Ben, this has been such a blast. Uh, before we wrap up with where people can find you and get in touch and learn more about you and what you offer, what would you say in kind of closing to this amazing conversation we've had, if you had to summarize kind of like a key takeaway that if the listeners just did one thing that you asked of them, what, what would you recommend for them? Um, so I'll, I'll actually go through, uh, a, a list just to kind of give, give some quick bullet points. So Great. learn self-compassion, practice it, hug yourself. Um, happiness, uh, based on what Gandhi has said is when what you say, what you think and what you do are all aligned. So that is a perfect recipe. Um, practice meditation, um, and learn how to get present and get detached from your thoughts. Um, hold a clear vision um, and you know you grow what you attend to so uh, if you attend to fear you're going to grow fear if you attend to the vision of what you want you will grow that um, you know fear is a, a a signal to move towards like a moth to a light so flex that fear muscle get quicker at feeling fear and then taking action on it um, tap into your intuition um, instead of your ego voices and that's that's getting heart-centered um, and you know you don't just find your purpose like it was under a rock you need to take action um, and then you need to follow the uh, clues along the way. But once you take action, the universe will conspire. Beautiful things will happen. So that's, those are my parting words. That's amazing. And my last question is, what's your favorite dinosaur, dessert, and city in the world? Uh, dinosaur, I'm going to have to go, you know, I don't really have a dinosaur. So I can pick one. And I feel like a T-Rex is too basic, right? Um, <laughs> it's a tough question because most people don't have a good go-to dinosaur off the top of their head. Someone asked me this question recently. Um, so I started with T-Rex. Then I went to Pterodactyl because I thought it was really cool that they could fly. Right. Thought, but, yeah, go ahead. So, yeah, I, I'm going to go with the Brontosaurus yes. because I believe that they're plant-based um, and I like to espouse a plant-based lifestyle, um, even if it's, you know, mostly plant-based. Um, and they're gentle giants, uh, as far as I know. Um, favorite dessert? Um, I'm going to go with chocolate lava cake. Yeah. Um, that is my favorite. Or the, or the brownie bottom pie. Um, what was the third question? Favorite city in the world. Favorite city in the world. Oof. Cause you did, you, so we didn't even hit that, but you said you did like a big round the world trip. Yep. Yep. I don't know if you want, if you want to get into it or if we're out of time. Yeah. Let's just do like a, what's like the one minute version. Like what were the big places you hit? And then I guess if we could also squeeze in what was like sort of the life uh, okay. reflection. Cool. So um, I'll, I'll go through a list. So it was amazing. I started with Kilimanjaro. Nice. Um, and, and Tanzania is great. Um, so then I went to Ethiopia and the Simeon mountains were like the biggest surprise and, and hanging out with the, um, gilded heart baboons that are used to people, uh, in the wild is absolutely incredible. So I highly recommend Ethiopia as, um, a less traveled place. Um, there, there was Turkey, uh, India, Nepal, uh, 
Thailand, Cambodia. Um, I really want to go back to Nepal. Um, I did Everest Base Camp, and that was epic. Mm. Um, and I want to do like the Annapurna circuit, um, and more hiking around there. I found, I didn't know, but my happy place is walking for days on end in a beautiful mountain scenery, um, just because it's, it's epic. Um, and you can just get away from, uh, technology and concerns of the world. Um, one of the things that, um, I learned was I was in India and I was in Varanasi, which is a very holy city. And I, I was going to spend the day not doing anything and just go uh, hang out along the river and then see what happened. And, and my intention was to figure out what to do next with my life. And I didn't figure out what I was going to do next in my life. But um, first uh, a baby goat came up to me and I literally started playing with this baby goat and like having fun with the baby goat. And uh, this is probably even before baby goats were cool as they are now. Uh, but it was, it was just like so much fun. <laughs> then um, I was like further down the river one day and there was this guy I met in Cambodia and I just saw him walking by and I was like, Oh, what's up dude. And we like caught up and he was there taking table lessons. So like we hang out. Um, and then these like, um, Indian holy men, I believe they're called sadhus, uh, sadhus or badhus, I think it's sadhus, uh, come up and we like start talking with them and, and having tea, um, and just like learning from them. I had a great time. I didn't figure out what I was going to do, but the lesson that I took away from it is that, you know, if I'm kind of present and just let life unfold, like magic will happen. Um, so that was kind of like that, the, the lesson from, from that day. Um, so favorite city in the world. Um, I mean, I'm going to have to go with New York. Um, I was there. Yeah, for, that's right. <laughs> I was, I was there for so long and it, and it formed a, a lot of my experience and it's got crazy energy. I'm, I'm glad to be away from the energy right at the moment, but yeah, it's, it's an incredible city to uh, meet people, collaborate and uh, it's got such a hustle to it. That's awesome. Well, Ben, this has been a real pleasure. I've learned a ton. I'm sure listeners have too. And before we do the link share, I just want to say like, I really want to acknowledge you for the work that you've done on yourself and what you're now sharing with the world. Because I think people who have passed similar to ours, uh, or even if they don't, so many people wind up in this numbing place where it's alcohol, food, gambling, whatever. I find that most people have something um, that's either that they're doing, but it, more importantly, it's not about the compulsive behavior. It's about the fact that it's holding them back from being their best version of themselves. And I just want to acknowledge you for doing the work, which can be painful to tap into the best version of yourself, which has now turned into you sharing this amazing message with the world. So I want to thank you for that. Yeah. And, uh, right, right back at you. The, the, the light in me acknowledges the light in you. So, ah. and, um, you know, and that's one of the, um, to, to borrow from a coach I had, Julian Gordon, who borrowed this from somebody else. It's like my mission right now is to light lighthouses. And, um, you know, I just want more people to be activated in a world that, that they're inspired by because that'll make this world a better place. Yeah, couldn't have said it better myself. So in closing, uh, where can people find you online, on Instagram, your products, your programs? How can people get in touch? Um, cool. So main site, purposeup.com. It's kind of as it sounds, purposeup.com. Um, that's where you can find the podcast. Uh, and that's where you can also um, find out a little bit more about coaching with me. 
and um, I hope I don't kill it.com. That's my dad blog. It's a little bit more lighthearted and fun. Um, and one little aside, purpose is also about finding places of flow. Flow for me was about um, drawing like uh, as I was a kid. So if you pick up some of those old things, um, I didn't know it was going to turn into a dad blog, but it did. So that's just a, a little aside about I hope I don't kill it.com. Um, and uh, Instagram is uh, I am Ben Stein. Um, so that's where you can find me. Awesome. Well, Ben, uh, I'm just dropping these in my private Facebook group right now for people to see you. I'll add it all to the show notes. Thank you so much again for coming on the show and let's definitely stay in touch. Uh, yeah, it was, it was my pleasure and, and appreciate you um, sharing all this good stuff with the world. So thank you for having me. The world. So thank you for having me. The world. So thank you for having me. The world. So thank you for having me.